0: This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tincata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA.
1: Welcome to the Women in Fire radio show. Today, we'll be talking about community risk reduction. Thank you to Fire Engineering for allowing Women in Fire to be part of the radio show. I am Lisa Baker, the Southwest Trustee for Women in Fire. Today, I have an excellent group of panel members. I have Aner Jensen, who is actually the Risk, Redo- risk Reduction Coordinator from Evergreen Fire Rescue, welcome. I have Yuana Armstrong, who is the Emergency Management Coordinator in Forest Park, Georgia Fire Department. I have Ace Willie Salisbury, who recently retired from uh, as a lieutenant in Gainesville, Florida, and he now is employed with the Florida State Fire Marshal. And I have Lieutenant Heidi Simon, who also just recently retired from South Metro Florida and South Metro uh, in Colorado as a lieutenant. So community risk reduction is a comprehensive, evidence-based, all hazards and all risk strategy to identify mitigate respond and recover it's it's sometimes referred to crp it identifies prevention as a core principle fire departments are uniquely positioned to know their communities better than most than than most other organizations a cpr can help departments take excuse me what they already know and intentionally focus knowledge and activities to lower all hazard risks within their area of operation many organizations use a six step approach towards developing a CPR program. You identify the community risks, you prioritize the community risks, develop strategies and tactics to mitigate the risks, implement strategy and tactics, evaluate the effectiveness and continually improve. A lot of people think that a CPR just aim, is just aimed to prevent fires and other emergencies and identifying risks and training both firefighters and community members to identify the risks. So welcome to all my members, uh, my panel. I appreciate your um, taking the time out of your busy schedules to join um, in this very important conversation. So what do you guys feel is the benefits of a community risk reduction program?
2: You want to you uh, go first?
1: Anyone could start. Okay.
2: So- Uh, This is Einar Jensen. I'm the Risk Reduction Coordinator with Evergreen Fire Rescue in Colorado. Uh, Community risk reduction is a way to improve your fire department's service to your public as well as to your responders. When we look at research, research shows that responders interact with 8 to 10% of the population of their district, uh, just in terms of emergency response, patients, people who uh, are calling for that 911 service. By looking into the fire service through the lens of community risk reduction, we as a fire department can serve everybody, not just the easy ones, not just the people who are using 911, but all parts of our community. Uh, So I would say that's probably the opening
3: volley for me. Uh, so for me, um, it's, it's the beginning of uh, the state of Florida getting into uh, community risk reduction. And what I've done and what the team has done is we've made contact with other states and other cities who have already implemented the uh, community risk reduction program. So our first thing that we had to do was analyze our data. Um, and because if we're not using the, the data to drive our community risk reduction, then we're, we're just kind of like shooting in the dark as to what we think uh, the problem is. So for us, community risk, risk reduction is data-driven. So when, uh, and we have to look at the, the entirety uh, of the state, uh, then we take uh, the state information back, then we analyze uh, cities, and we help the coordinators from the cities decide on which direction to go in. So when we help them look at um, the the different aspects of the data, uh, we make sure that the data that they are looking at and analyzing is correct data. Um, We're looking at uh, the possibility of of what programs they're gonna implement. And when we look at the, the five E's of community risk reduction, it's, um, it's a lot easier for them to understand what they're, what they're focusing on. Um, so I'll stop there because I'll keep going.
1: Actually, Ace, you just brought up something um, that we'll, we'll touch on in a minute. Unless anyone else has anything to add to that about the data-driven approaches. But if anyone wants to add anything about the um, benefits of a community risk reduction program.
4: I think everyone got it spot on. I mean, essentially it's it's the, you know, all hazard solution to the all hazard response that the modern fire and service, uh, we need to keep in pace with with the constantly changing social, economic, and political climate. So it's all about being prepared and knowing what to prepare for. That's where all those things come into play, that all hazards approach. Also, Lisa,
5: also, so this is Heidi. Uh- I think that also we can't forget the effect that it has on the line personnel and the people that are, um, you know, providing that direct service uh, 911 service, because without prevention, our call volume is significantly higher and um, not always to calls that we need to be going on, Um, you know, preventable. Most of our emergencies are preventable, but Accidents obviously happen. So if we can be um, one also supporting the community risk reduction process, but um, th- the direct correlation to to lessen our types of calls um, is awesome, especially one of my um, areas is uh, this senior citizen uh, fall prote- fall prevention would be a good example of that that really helps reduce our call volume on those types of calls.
2: And I would just add real quick, jumping on Heidi's comment there. Ultimately, my job is to work with the public so that they use 911 more effectively and to make the workplace for all of our responders, whether paid or volunteer, make their workplace safer so they can go home safely at the end of each call and the end of each shift. That's what community risk reduction means to the fire department, to the EMS agency, to law enforcement. Ultimately, it's about keeping our responders safer because we're keeping the public safer.
1: And you just made a good point. I think a lot of times when people think of um, community risk reduction um, programs, they, they just think of the fire department, but there's kind of like three portions of a, a community risk thing when you, or a community risk program. When you try to like try to start develop them One there's like the stakeholder um, the partner, and then you have a committee that's going to help do it. So I think people just think of, we're trying to reduce, reduce like fires and such. And then Heidi just made a good point that it's more than just fires. It's like the um, the slips and falls in the senior homes and such. And Ace, you, you brought up a good thing about data-driven approaches to identify uh, specific risks within a community and how, what, um, so once the they do their data risks. It allows the fire departments to prioritize their efforts and resources towards addressing the most significant risks. And that's what Heidi just kind of um, spoke about. So, I Ace, you worked in Florida, where we know they get a lot of hurricanes and such. <laughs> Sorry. So how was that? So did Gainesville, like, so you guys in Gainesville, how did, I don't know, how was the community risk program, Implemented in Gainesville, I'm sure Hurricanes was probably one of the main risks of your department in certain times.
6: So, um... Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced Technology... Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology, only from Tencata
3: Protective Fabrics. So it wasn't called community risk reduction back then. Um, it was more of when we did our annual report, we would look at the, the call volumes and the variety of calls. So, when we were looking at um, what we call the frequent flyers <laughs> that, that kept coming up, and that drove um, the portion where we ended up with the uh, community paramedic pro um, community community paramedicine program. Um, and that was the ano- when we analyzed that. So, now that we call it that, we um, dig into more information that. Or, or data that we have that came back from the city, um, we had a portion where we had, you know, when we're talking about frequent flyers, it not only spurred on the community paramedicine program, it did. Um, we partnered with the health department, the hospital, and police. So if someone was having problems with getting their their medicine or getting back and forth to a doctor, um, some of the people had just fallen through the cracks. And they became, you know, we became almost like their, their first care um, providers for them. So anytime they had a headache, a stub toe, or, or anything that medical that was going on. So we partnered with the U- University of Florida also. So we got the medical residents. We have uh, nursing students. We have uh, a dental program. Um, so that was from the call volume. That we sought to reduce that call volume. So how do we do that? We develop partners. Uh, we attach the um, the uh, clients, as we call them, to uh, programs that would help them instead of calling nine one one for everything that that could be taken care of in a in a different direction. So when we did the risk assessment, that's what we found out. Um, the city stopped the union from building wheelchair ramps. Why? Because we had to go and pull permits to do that. So what we did was we went to Lowe's and Home Depot and said, hey, can you um, help with this? They said, we'll provide uh, materials for the um, uh, the wheelchair ramps. Got in contact with some contractors. They said, okay, we'll write this one off um, as a uh, tax relief to come pull the permit and to build those uh, those ramps and stuff. So so all of that came from data. Um, that came from looking at the call volume and why those those call volumes were so high in those particular areas.
1: And I think, Ace, well, uh, you, just, you brought up a good point. I think more and more cities are now going to programs like that. I know where I used to um, work, they have a, a program called Macro, which is um, it's a, it's a mobile assistance, community responders of Oakland, and they respond to quests for services of the unhoused, some behavioral mental illnesses, concerns, and noise complaints, so that the police and the fire department aren't just going to those calls and taking the resources of, away from other um, emergency calls that might be more pressing than some of the calls that they were going on before. Um, did anyone have anything else to add about the how data helps and
2: I think it's I think it's the importance of not just data but intelligent data it's, it's analyzing the data it's not just that we went on X number of calls to X address or or this type of call it's also figuring out the why behind it mm-hmm. so for those of mm-hmm. us in the community risk reduction field it's important to think to reach out to our friends in public health for example and look at the problems through the eyes of public health so when we get to talking about the what i would call the six E's of risk reduction rather than just the five the education engineering enforcement emergency response economic incentives and empowerment and when we look at it through the eyes of public health we can come up with better solutions that involve more than just the one or two people in a prevention bureau or in a a risk reduction chair, uh, to be more holistic, just like Ace was talking about, getting more people from the community involved uh, so that we have this holistic approach to solving holistic problems.
7: Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip. The easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true one hundred percent seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit Magnagrip.com.
1: You wanted? Do you have anything to add? Um, I know last time you talked about a program that um, Forest Park just started using.
4: Yes, yeah, so we um, implemented the, we're using the Craig 1300 platform, which um, it's on, if you wanted more information, you can go on NFPA.org and it kind of, it's based off of the standard the NFPA standard. And um, speaking to the community risk assessment portion of it, that's that's so vital and in identifying those risks and then being able to prioritize. And like you mentioned, the, the why is it happening here? Not just what's happening, but why um, that, it's a program that it's pulling data from not only our NIFRS reports, but also the uh, the census and, and all these things are coming together. And they make it very simplified for you and anyone to see because anyone can access. It's not like an uh, internal program. It's available um, to anybody who wishes to access the link. And you can get a, a background info on the city of Forest Park and all the pretty much the good, bad and the, what we want to help improve kind of. Um, And it's just been super useful in making that community risk reduction plan, because in order to make the plan, you need to know where what those areas are that you have to focus on first or are you're going to prioritize to focus on first. So that's been eye opening for us. Um, As I mentioned last time, we're very new to this. Um, We're just now really wrapping our our minds around it. But the community was thrilled about it. Um, Our uh, governing body was thrilled about it. And it's helpful for for people like me, and in what we do in emergency management, and on the education aspect, uh, and even in the fire marshal's office, to bring all this data together in one spot, you can look at it, and and it really helps us. And it's helping us formulate this plan, which again, it's going back on on the data, but also in a way that you can read it and and understand it a little bit easier. So I, I I've been super thrilled with it.
1: And you just made a good point. There actually is a um, NFPA standard on community risk reduction and community risk reduction plan development. It's NFPA thirteen hundred. So, I'm mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, you know, you kind of mentioned the um, the what are the five E's of the community risk reduction, and you added the sixth one. Can you just briefly like go over those of what what each one kind of entails and how they're developed and why they're they're referred to as the five but now as
2: you mentioned the six now so initially the ease of risk reduction the ease of fire prevention came out of a meeting back in 1947 that president truman brought together uh, the experts in the fire service to try to figure out what was going on and what we could do about it and that started out with education so teaching people how to be safer enforcement which is what fire inspectors do building inspectors do Uh, it's what happens when we get pulled over and busted for speeding that's the enforcement component so there's a most often a negative incentive to keep doing something because you're going to have to open up your wallet or your checkbook and then engineering how do we create a built environment or a technological environment that protects us mostly without our input but there's still that input we can put smoke alarms in homes, but if we let the batteries expire or we don't change out smoke alarms after 10 years, the engineered protection won't help us. If we drive without our seatbelts on, the engineered protection won't help us. If we drive so fast that the seatbelts are meaningless, they won't protect us uh, in those uh, incidents. So those were the basic three. But then along the way, we realized that economic incentives are important that if we incentivize change of behavior that uh, people will do better things. For example, a a program that rewards kids for doing home fire drills uh, and they score a coupon for free ice cream. Uh, It could be something as simple as that. It's critical that we remember that in the community risk reduction environment or the ecosystem, I guess, emergency responders are the ultimate part of risk reduction because like Heidi said, bad things still happen And it's critical that we have well-trained, well-equipped firefighters, paramedics, police officers who represent our entire community going out there and, and serving in those emergency times. And then I think it's critical that we remember that the public isn't stupid. They may not know how to help themselves. They may not know the right thing to do. We need to empower them so they can act on their own because ultimately, when, when Murphy turns on the fan and things go really badly, there's not enough emergency responders to go around and help everybody right now. So by empowering people to take care of themselves, to wear their seatbelts, to, to drive more slowly in my district uh, during, during dusk and uh, dawn hours so they can avoid hitting critters on the highways, by empowering them, they can act on their own to protect themselves and ultimately, that's protecting our responders. And as we all know, dead firefighters are useless. So how can we keep firefighters safer to keep the rest of us safer? That's what the six E's are all about.
1: Ace, did you have anything to add? You're shaking your head. Like.
7: Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its fire and EMS solution, user-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. It's in in complete um, agreement
3: with everything he's saying. I figured. And when... When we have um, our city managers and commissioners and and all them um, in agreement with us, because sometimes there's there's money on the front end that we have to spend in order to reduce the money on the back end, and once we get them to understand what this program can do um, and how it can affect the overall you know community. Um, then they, they have a better buy-in and to present this program to them and show them how other programs have worked, you know, when this the community risk reduction program has worked in other cities and other States and to show them how this thing can be effective. Um, we'll just step back to Gainesville again. Um, one of the guys, you know, was at a uh, conference somewhere and they were talking about their community paramedic program, paramedicine program. And then when they brought it back and said, hey, can we take a closer look at this? So when we look at um, our our mentor uh, state is is South Carolina. And we looked at it and said, OK, what can we do um, to make our city better and our state better? All we had to do was uh, look at the programs they already had in, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're looking at what someone else has already done, apply it to our, our state, and then um, we took the information that was given to us by our our, our data, and just implemented it to our state. And it was a a quick response for us in the reduction of a number of things. Um, when he was talking about the uh, the school uh, the school drills. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, the 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 uh, teachers and the school board can do this all day long. All it took was to have one fire truck show up and you do and you do one little, you know, thirty or an hour with the kids. That red truck sticks in their mind to me longer than when the school board is doing it. Um, when we did. Uh, looked at the state as a whole during hurricane i think it was ian Uh, and prior to ian we would have the you know the carbon monoxide just who would think of setting a generator up in the middle of their house and running it and it just (laughs) i could not understand or believe that people were doing that and we had to as a statewide Put this thing out statewide. Do not put the generators inside of your house and start your generator. Have it, you know, X number of feet away from your home or, or downwind. It's those programs um, and to rapidly place those out into the state. Um, and that was driven by data. It was driven by accidents, incidents that you like. This can't be happening, but it is um, just like, you um, uh, the the program of you know I was talking about the um, the the home education and the education at school for the uh, fire drills it's one thing when you see that um, a kid accidentally set the house on fire and what do they do they knew the instincts of getting out and staying out uh, the ones who did not um, this was in 1992 the child set the house on fire and he ran and hid. And it ended up costing him costing his sister's life. Um, but it was one of those things where I can show you where it worked and I can show you where it did not work. Um, the programs that we we come up with and stuff. So so I'm gonna stop because I'll I'll get started and we'll shut up.
1: No, that's fine. So I think we just kind of actually hit on this a little bit with with the question would be would alternating the public's knowledge ability or attitudes. And awareness related to risk impact behaviors, and Ace, you just kind of hit on that a little bit. Like the community, you have to get the message out to the community with the generators and stuff. And I know in um, certain areas that are prone to heavy rain and get flooding, they have a campaign that uh, what turn around, don't drown. And I know recently, um, last year, we had a a lot of rain in a short amount of time. And I was accustomed to that saying, turn around, don't drown. I'd heard it before, but they actually were started saying it on the news here because we're getting flooding and people were trying to drive through flooded um, streets and such. So does anyone else have anything to say about what alternating the public's knowledge, attitudes, and awareness related to risks impact behaviors?
0: IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one and more our high quality technically accurate and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service visit us at ifsta.org for more information
1: you want does your program um the Craig 1300 does it kind of address any of that in the in what your data has um come up with not
4: the the program itself, not so much because that that's the community risk assessment tool. That's what we're gonna that's what we use to to gather the data and see what kind of areas and what 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 we need to focus on, whether is it the slip and falls, is it accidents, is it you know, um, running your generators, is it houses or, or single family homes or residential structures that don't have smoke alarms? What what are the target areas? So that's kind of what that program does. But as far as going back to the will it influence the behavior that that's what we hope to do right by by getting these messages out and a lot of the times if, if chief Clemens was here you know we can go back to the story of you you don't know what you don't know so we it, it might seem to us doing this that you you would think that people don't do that or you wouldn't think to run the generator inside or to have a candle going next to the you know you just but you don't know what you don't know and 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 we don't know necessarily what the community knows or doesn't. So it's on us to educate them and, and enlighten them and, you know, explain to them why, because it's happened here and give them examples. And a lot of the times like because Chief Clemens didn't know about how Atlanta likes to get ice and not snow coming from, you know, she got prepared. Now she's got the blanket and the pillow and the snacks. But again, it's just little things that you, until you, you have to get to know your community and what are the hazards for your specific Area because it changes everywhere. You know, something that might impact us might not be relevant elsewhere. But the message is the same: of getting the message out there and the knowledge to to our community of this is what we are explaining and and the whys behind it and how it can help. Um, you know, protect you and your family and your loved ones. So, you know, or Heidi, that,
1: oh, go ahead. I like to
2: add something real quick, Lisa. Uh, one is that. If any of you have teenagers in particular, you know that our ability to change the attitudes of others doesn't exist. But Our goal is to change the awareness, and then the, the user of that information is responsible for changing their attitude, and that's what leads to the behavior change, the conditions change, the, ultimately the culture change. So I, I think it's also important that we remember that we can only do so much. But that's, again, why it's so important. It's not just the five of us in this, in this room, if you will. It's not just the, the official risk reduction folk, the official bureau people. It, it's, it's also all the responders. It's all of our admin. It's all of our, it's our mechanics. It's, it's the entire agency. It's the entire community so that we can empower the entire community to uh, hopefully, on their own, change their behavior change the conditions, and keep all this safer.
1: You just made a really good point. And I think some line personnel um, kind of get like blinders on when they become um, uh, firefighters. They think they're just going to respond to fires and go on EMS calls and vehicle accidents and all the glamour that so-called comes with the, the job. But you're right. Every call you go on, you have the ability to make a difference in somebody's life more or less Mm -hmm. Um, if you see something like the too many plugs plugged into a power strip, or I mean, it's every opportunity is a way to educate the public on Mm -hmm. the different hazards that they face in their own home, not not only in their community.
2: And again, looking at this from a public health perspective, those are all ways that we think about primary prevention or that primary risk reduction. When responders are on scene, that's the secondary level, what's occurring during the incident. So when our responders are wearing their vests, they're, they're using eye protection, they're, they're wearing their SCBA appropriately, they're, they're uh, backboarding the patient, they're providing all that patient care, they're putting uh, water on the fire, that's the secondary level. And then we got to remember, we've also got that tertiary or third level of prevention, where we're impacting the ability to of the individual, the community, the family to recover so that we don't have that longer-term economic impact. When you think about wildfires, for example, whether it's uh, the, the fires up in Canada, the, the big ones in California, or even just little fires, what is the impact, that long-term impact to the family? Pace's uh, comment that it wasn't just a matter of that uh, the sister dying in that fire, what did we lose as a community with that girl not being able to grow up and maybe become the next astronaut, become the next the next fire chief, become a, the next doctor that, that cures something, or even the next teacher to then create the next next? So I, I, let's think about community risk reduction, again, not just in that primary level, but the secondary and tertiary level as well. It's, in the end, community risk reduction is an incredibly robust model for making a difference in our communities.
1: That's a really good point. Um, and then going kind of like uh, piggybacking on that a little bit. So, Anais, you might've hit this a little bit, but in Heidi, you talked about the slips and falls and such in the um, nursing home, in the area you worked in. So uh, one community could have more than one issue that they need to deal with as far as community risk reduction.
2: Well, we have nine. Yeah, that we're targeting in Evergreen, but I'll let the others talk too. No, no,
1: no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like I think some people. You're the you're the subject matter expert. You're the one or and A's are the subject matter experts on this. Um, and I think sometimes we um we don't think like globally like that. That it, you think of a community and in in all the different areas of a certain city that there's sometimes. I don't know if this is the right analogy but there's almost nine cities within a city sometimes that each mm-hmm. area is dealing with something totally different and you just mentioned it you have to think of what that area needs like heidi with the district she was in it was slips and falls was what her her um engine was going on a lot you mentioned wildfires i mean some some stations where i used to work it was mainly wildfires Oh, there are dealing with a lot of the unhoused and mental illness and stuff. But if you want to go ahead and talk about um, the nine issues and how you uh, how you identify them and address them.
2: So we over this last winter, one of my first assignments when I was hired here in Evergreen was to come up with the first community risk assessment for Evergreen Fire Rescue. And it was a it was it was eye-opening. I had worked here before about 15 years ago, but I'd never looked at the community through the eyes of a risk assessment. Uh, We were able to pull together the resources of the NFPA, uh, Strategic Fire, Vision 2020, and also what had worked with uh, my former agency, South Metro Fire Rescue, where I worked alongside Heidi, and put together our own version of what a community risk assessment could be. So I to, the, to listeners, don't feel like you have to follow the box, the, the perfect model of how to do a, a community risk assessment. Do what works for your agency, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And in our process of looking at not just our infers, not just our incident response, but also what the community could provide from law enforcement, from the, the hospitals down in the suburbs, that uh, weather, topography, that, that ecological or environmental history, Our nine target areas are wildfire, uh, the aging population, structure fires, and that's both residential and commercial, cardiac emergencies, falls, and beyond just elders falling, but also kids on the playground falling. Motor vehicle crashes, I can't stand using the term accident. I call them crashes, that's probably my thing. Emergency communications is one of our risk areas. How do we get information to our public more effectively, Uh, whether it's uh, through a lookout alert or a code red or the emergency alert system, uh, that sort of thing, but also getting our information out internally to our own personnel. So not necessarily in emergency communications, but that, that communications element. Injury prevention, preparedness, and I would throw, a, it's kind of like a 9.5 in there. Documentation, and that's a risk that we identified internally that we as an agency need to, we know that we need to improve our documentation so that we can provide better data sets for INFERS or for the, the state EMS system. With better data, we can do better with uh, the budgeting process. We can do better with answering to our, our uh, customers, our, our public. We can apply for grants more effectively. Uh, If we ever get called in for a trial, we can be better prepared for a trial. So all those risks, not my number, let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So nine and a half risks. Uh, That's what we've been focusing our attention on, not just in risk reduction where I sit, but also the rest of our Bureau, our Community Risk Reduction Bureau, but EMS, our Community Paramedic Program our operations group in terms of how they're training and what they're doing when they're on calls, uh, and admin and our mechanics and all of us. Uh, that's, those nine and a half risks are guiding our entire agency so that we can serve our public more effectively and keep our firefighters and our paramedics, our responders as safe as possible.
1: You wanted, did you have something to add? Yeah. Or Ace? Go ahead, Ace.
3: So we, we talked about uh, using this information to um, better have our, you know, our managers or administration understand what we're doing and stuff. But we use this information also internally for the responders. Um, when you have buy-in from those who are, who are responding, because like I said, the majority of the young ones, they want the glamour. They want... You know, either either if it's on fire or crash, that's what they want. But you have to get them to buy in on preventing the, the fire or the crash. And once you get them to, to understand that, um, yeah, these things are going to happen. But, you know, there's life, life that's lost in the process. There's um, lifelong injuries in that process of the fire and the crash. So, What we need for you um, as a professional when we do go on these calls, how can we look at preventing those? Look at, like like I was talking about the the plugs, the excessive amount of plugs. Um, Part of that was um, one of those things that we had to reach out to the University of, of Florida and say, hey, your inspectors need to go and inspect these dorm rooms. You know, they the kids were expected a um a certain amount of privacy, but when that privacy uh can cause damage or injury to the rest of the dorm, then your privacy stops at a certain point. So when we have the young firefighters um um took they took and ran with that uh community portion of it when we were, you know, building the wheelchair ramps. When we were doing um, uh, cleanouts and stuff with porter houses and stuff like that, they uh, found that camaraderie and the uh, the push from the from the elders in the fire service said, "Yes, your job is to do ABC one two three on a crash or fire, but we expect you to uh, help work on the prevention portion of this, and you know some on your off days." pitch in and, and do some things for the community that you wouldn't normally do. Uh, and and like I said, a portion of that was uh, one of, I can't remember what her name was, Mary or something like that. She would had um, such a trip and fall hazard. We got to the point where it was like, okay, five o'clock in the morning, everyone get up because we know she's going to be falling at five in the morning and start heading to her house. It was that It was that often. But once we got in, got in with her family, got in with uh, uh, the health department and said, how can we help prevent this? Uh, went in, cleaned her house out, took away the trip hazards because she was living by herself. She, she you know, really needed to be in assisted living, but she was fighting for independence. And so we, you know, afforded her that. So took away the trip hazards for her and, you know, eliminated that call that went on, I think almost a full month where we saw her almost every shift and stuff. So, but that's, that's the end of that. So, but getting the uh, department to buy in, getting them to um, want to look at these different programs, uh, the community risk reduction portion of it, when they saw that um, we reduced the number of, of, um say at Station One, when we reduced the uh, the homeless population with what we were having was they were either getting into, uh, I can't remember what the, the, the synthetic uh, uh, weed was, uh, but they got into that pretty heavily and <laughs> I hate to say it, but the cops in us said just smoke regular weed and stop this this other stuff. Um and we weren't telling them to go and smoke weed, but it reduced the number of calls that we had because the synthetic weed was putting people on another planet and stuff. So, but it was just talking to the customers. Um, you know, we talked to, you know, they were back and forth around the station, but making that uh uh communication or or commitment to to talk to them, see what the problems were. And the one guy was like, hey, it's not regular weed we're smoking. We're smoking whatever that I can't remember what it was. And um so once we found the source of that, eliminate that source and just please go back smoking regular weed. <laughs> so we we won't have this. We ran, I think in one shift, and no lie, this was this was B shift. We ran from eight in the morning to eighty seven, seven o'clock that next day, we ran 32 calls because of bad synthetic weed and um it, it would hit spots every once in a while but um that thing of just talking to the customers and we found the source just by talking to the customers they trusted us enough to say it's from this and um uh and everything so I I found that we had a a unique relationship with our our customers um so, like I said, there's pockets in the, inside the city. And once your customers know you and trust you, you can be effective that way. And, um, it's just one of those things where, um, the, the young firefighters would go and do the job and leave it and wouldn't talk to the family. They wouldn't talk to, um, you know, the patients to find out who they are, what was their situation. And how could they get any help? But once we started the um, community paramedicine, then the community risk reduction, that opened their eyes to be able to, to talk and understand uh, what the situations are, and and to um, attempt to get them help and and to get them help. So, and I think a lot I, of,
4: I'd like oh, go ahead. Sorry, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add to that real quick because you know this discussion i i love this discussion it's so good but you know we talk about educating the community and the public and, and oftentimes you don't hear us talking about educating our personnel you know you talk about getting their buy-in getting them to understand but we need to educate them too because once we actually do that and and really getting them to understand the why maybe the five or plus of us are talking about this then it, it will open their eyes but a lot of them weren't having these discussions back in the firehouses you know they weren't quite and speaking on a personal level with the like ema no one really knows what emergency management does kind of until you do it and once you do you're like wow you know i get it now same with the fire marshal's office you kind of know a little bit but you don't know until you're in it you're like wow (laughs) there's so much so i think we need to also remember we got to educate our people too to to give them that understanding and and they I feel like it gives, it'll help them buy in quicker and then we can, you know, go forth and empower them and, and help the community out.
1: That's about, that's where I was going with that. You want to, um, I think it all during my career, I don't think I really ever heard the term community risk reduction until I went to the national fire Academy Mm and the EFO program. It's just a a term that you don't use or hear a lot of. And like ACE kind of said, when they were out educating the, um, community and such, and Heidi with the slips and falls and stuff, and Ace where you went to the call where the lady was going to fall every day at 5 a.m., you are educating without knowing that that's what you're doing to some degree. But I totally agree that I think the the people that respond to the calls, your firefighters, your paramedics, your company officers and such, need to be educated on really kind of what a community risk reduction is Because they're conducted and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, they're conducted by community risk reduction coordinators and you get your data and such to do it. And do you get the input from. Go ahead.
2: Well, I mean, ideally, speaking for my people, ideally, every agency is going to have a risk reduction specialist, a risk reduction coordinator, whatever you want to call this person. But most don't. So just having, just having a person or a team or a crew or ideally the entire agency committed to this idea of prevention, mitigation, education, that's what matters. It's like every other thing in the fire service. It doesn't matter what your actual, what your title is. If you are interested in making a difference for your crew's safety and in the public safety, just do it. It doesn't matter if you have an actual risk reduction specialist. Maybe it's your your fire inspector. Maybe it's your company officer. Maybe it's the the firefighter who's been there for 33 years and and she's seen enough to know that the fire department can be doing more. Maybe it's the, the brand new rookie who joined the fire service because that person remembered seeing the fire truck at the elementary school back when... When she or he was five years old, anybody can do this. And that's the best part. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I say, for my people, hire, you know, create a position, hire a risk reduction specialist. I love it. But you don't need the title to do what's right.
4: Exactly. You,
2: you don't need to be, an officer to be a leader. You don't need to be a, a, a firefighter to know how to drag hose. You don't, know? all of us can be empowered. There's that six E to do the right thing all the time.
5: Hey Lisa, um, I also wanted to mention that, um, I mean, Einer just nailed what I think is probably the most important part of community risk reduction is it's not just a specialization in the fire service. We've also, we've always had fire prevention um, in a word, and we've changed the, we've relabeled it to make it a broader, more all encompassing term. And, um, And you brought up that at the EFO, we talk, they talk about that in classes, and they offer classes in community risk reduction um, at the National Fire Academy. So I think it's incumbent upon the upper management of our departments, our fire chiefs and, and the other people that are attending these programs, to ensure that it is being performed at your department, regardless of whether or not you have specialists to do it. I agree with Einer that it would be ideal if all agencies could have at least one community risk specialist. However, um, we take an oath as a firefighter to serve our communities and it's not just in emergencies. It says very clearly that we're also involved in prevention and most mission statements include that. So the only way that we can get this done as firefighters as well is for our chiefs to bring this information back to us, unless we have a specialist. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a chief, I'll never be a chief. And I, but I, I've implored this concept on my on my people that we're here to protect the citizens from us, from each other and from themselves. And so um, they can't do that. This, this information is not ingrained in their brain. It's not always taught in school. So we have to do that whether we're on the streets or in the office, we always have to be participating in this.
2: 100% agree.
5: I agree Thanks, 100% Heidi. with you, Heidi.
1: And I think sometimes, um, on calls firefighters are already doing it they just don't know to some degree that that's what they're doing they think it's more mm-hmm. fire prevention because we're so accustomed to hearing fire prevention fire prevention prevent fires and enor has went over like all the other things that we need to be encompassing when we're thinking about you know vehicle collisions and you know, we, in like the agency I worked in, we had huge wildland area. So it was kind of concentrating on wildland and structure fires and stuff, but there's so much more to encompass prevention programs. But I think that any firefighter that goes on a call and sees something that's just not right. Like if you go into a commercial establishment and the back exit door is locked or something, something you're going to say something. and And that's like, and you're going to educate the owner why it shouldn't be, locked and you're probably going to call maybe fire prevention to get it enforced and stuff so to some degree firefighters are doing community risk reduction not really thinking knowing that that's what they're doing because the agency or such or they're just not accustomed to the terminology they think they're doing fire prevention so um that was actually one of the questions and it it might not even really be a question i think we've already answered it but what's the difference between fire prevention and community risk reduction
2: so i would think that Fire prevention is one component of community risk reduction. But even, I don't like the term fire prevention. I I may be putting myself out here, but Vision 2020 has a great phrase that fire is everyone's fight. Stop it. (laughs) I don't like raw chicken. I like having birthday candles. I like fireworks sometimes. Fire is not the enemy. We are the enemy. The goal shouldn't be preventing all fires. that should be preventing unwanted fires. But really, maybe the message is uh, fire mitigation so that we can be safer when we use fire. There's a huge difference in that. I can't prevent hurricanes and tornadoes. Let's call it mitigation or risk reduction. I mean, I'm working on it, trying to control the weather, but it's still a few years <laughs> out. I, I can't figure out how to prevent cars from slamming into elk. But maybe I can reduce the frequency or the, the areas that, let's think about reduction rather than outright 100% there's no more calls to go to. So I, I think that that's also a, a, a lesson for us to consider. Maybe I'm off on the, you know, yeah. a different field at this point. That happens. But fire prevention, fire being safe around fire is one aspect. you got to remember that fires are only a small part of what fire departments actually deal with anymore. Yes. Think about EMS. Think about all hazards. Mm-hmm. So Ioana's point earlier, we need to be thinking all hazards.
1: I, and I agree with you. And I completely it, agree. And fire departments still have fire prevention bureaus or fire a fire prevention division and such. And I think that some people in, in the fire department and, and even maybe to the, commun- or the community, for example, might even think this if you google a fire department and you see the different divisions they have and they have a fire prevention division it's that they're trying to prevent fires and i yeah and it's just like well you you just hit it that there's so many more things now that we respond to besides just fires fires is such mm-hmm. a small component of what we go on i mean and, and it's kind of easier to prevent fires than some of the other things you were talking about I mean, you see something, you say something, so to speak. When you see the fire hazard at a building, you say something. You see people playing with illegal fireworks, you say something. You see something having an illegal burn, you say something. So to that aspect, I, I 100% agree with you that the term fire prevention, I think, is just people think it's just we're trying to prevent a fire from happening and not encompassing all the other emergencies that we may be responding to. So...
3: What tool... I can is that title changing in the future? Uh, pardon me? <laughs> I can see that title changing in the future. Hope what? so.
1: I hope so. Yeah. so. um how often should you review and revise the um CPR plans? I know we're developing them, they're developed, or people are in the process of developing. So what's the plan in place? How often should it be? I mean, is it monthly, weekly, yearly? Like
2: I think that I think the CRR plan rather than the CPR plan. On the, CPR, the CRL plan. I don't
1: want to say it. I didn't say CPR, my bad. The CRL
2: plan. I could not read my own should, writing. <laughs> should be reviewed uh, once a year. I mean, already, a lot of our agencies are appraising the programs. You, you figure out what you did well, what you didn't do well for budget season. That's mm-hmm. an appraisal that's revising potentially your community risk reduction plan. So uh, I think we're already doing this on a yearly basis. And and for me, for my agency, that's the guidance that we've all agreed to is that once a year, we don't need to start from ground zero, but let's just modify what we're doing. So we have an organic document that makes sense for our responders and for our public. And for me as the implementer. I agree with that. And, and with,
4: all of these documents to me, which they're, it's so crucial to have that base and to revise it at least annually. But, and also it's a living document, you know, something starts happening. If you get that wild streak of X, Y, Z events, you can hone in on that right then. And if you need to revise something, if you're doing something well, or you figure out it's not working in that moment, we don't need to wait a year. (laughs) You know, I think it really is. <laughs> it depends, kind of case by case, but absolutely, you know, on paper, I, I would love every year, but as needed, of course. Yeah, well done. So <laughs> for the
1: CRR plan, um, I, I can't read my own writing half the time. So for a CRR, who who is involved with the plan? Is it a committee or is it just the fire department? Is who are the stakeholders that help develop the CRR plan?
2: For my agency, it was it, it's a plan for the agency, so it it was me as the risk reduction coordinator, uh, working with the other practitioners, so that the community risk reduction bureau, the fire marshal, the fire chief, the EMS division chief, the operations chief, uh, the community paramedics, the wildland division, and then ultimately getting the input from our board of directors, uh, but then. For me, as a as a nerd, I go out and research with other folks, like our open space and our law enforcement partners and our our hospitals and uh, a nonprofit I'm with now that is trying to uh, work on the the human non-human relationships in the community, the the uh, Evergreen Sustainability Alliance, the, the Rec District. I think that it's incumbent upon us to to take those blinders off and to reach out into the community as well, and to get not necessarily their buy-in initially, but to learn from their lessons, to learn from their research, so that we can have a, a better plan and, and figure out how to get more people involved in the solution.
1: So we're just almost about out of time. Does anyone have anything they'd like to add to our community risk reduction topic or, Aisha, smile in there, what do you want to add?
3: you got it at the end there.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> you know, um so it it was uh for us, it was a uh, start from uh internally and like of uh, like um uh, Jensen was saying, it, it moved from internal inside of the fire department to externally. And it was a portion there where <clears throat> we we assessed ourselves first we looked internally first before we start moving outside um we looked at when we say in, internal stakeholders um I, I felt like our largest uh stakeholder internally were our employees um when we got the buy in from them um we you know we already had buy in from administration but to to get the um, the employees themselves to buy in and push and open their eyes and understand what we we're trying to do um rather than just you know run the calls and then come back and then run the calls and then come back um for them to understand that uh prevention was not just Uh, the guys who were going in our uh, uh, inspection portion, that's what we called our prevention was um, the inspector, the inspectors, that it was not just their job to uh, do inspections of commercial buildings and and stuff like that. It was our duty as well when we were out, when we were out and about, when we would go to the grocery store or go to commercial buildings to look and assess, um, you know, My family hates it that my eyes are always open, that (laughs) I'm always looking for the exits to make sure the exits are Mm -hmm. are, um, visible, they're unblocked, um, that when they get off the elevator and or when we go to the hotel room, I say, we get inside. I said, which way is the exit? Is it left or right as soon as you exit the door? They're like, what what are you talking about? Hello. How many doors? How many doors? <laughs> yeah. And we are always looking. And once that gets ingrained into the, the the new incoming fire generation, um then we're already in that aspect of um uh assessing the community for, for risk. And it's one of those things where I, I see in the future where um it's going to start being taught at the academy, uh, the company officer programs, like we, like Lisa, you are in the EFO program. Um, this was being assessed and looked at before it was really implemented and placed into the streets. Um, so, but once we um, got the uh, the full the full understanding for for them, uh, the full understanding from administration. And then the buy-in from the community, I really um, saw the way that this program changed everything. It, ch- it changed the way we we used to operate, because when I first came in, wow, this is aging me. I I rode on the on the tailboard for one year before getting inside the truck, um, and it was due to you know people falling off the back of the truck. And stuff. So um looking at that risk and assessing that risk, they took the firefighters from the tailboard and put them inside the truck. So it, it was an evolution. It was a change in the way that we did things the old way and now we're we're
4: in that evolution again.
1: You want did you have something to add?
4: I think everyone just really ended it, you know, close it really well. You're just you're constantly reviewing the risks, whether as a tailboard or whether what have you and you're evaluating your response you're evaluating your mitigation strategies and you're you know constantly looking at your research your resources and what new resources you can pull into to to help strengthen that plan moving forward and you know i think this is a wonderful topic and i'm excited to see it getting talked about
5: lisa i think i want to just um i mean I, i put a lot of emphasis on the responsibilities of the chiefs, um, that are hopefully listening to this podcast and it's so easy for them to pass off the, that we don't want to have, we don't have the money for this type of program. And, um, what we don't have is we don't have the ability to not have a program like this. So it's part of the responsibility of all these departments. Don't forget your mission statement. Don't forget what your, what your whole purpose is as a line firefighter, and um, so whether or not you can have a community risk specialist or, or in our in our agency a an entire division, um, it's still something that needs to be done, and um, there's no excuse to not have it in our pro- in in all of our departments.
1: Thank you for sharing that, um, Heidi. And it is it's a CRR program, not a CPR program. <laughs> um, so, I want to thank each of our guests for being a part of the radio show. Thank you to Fire Engineering again. Thank you to all the listeners and members of Women in Fire. And um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn and check out our website, womeninfire.org.
6: Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced Technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology. Only from Tankata Protective Fabrics.
7: Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minute save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com.
0: IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, Resource One, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information.